Please remain standing for the honoring of the reading of God's Word. It comes to us today from Matthew chapter 9, verses 27 to 38. And this morning's sermon is entitled, Laborers Needed in a Plentiful Harvest. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, it be it done to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man, who was mute, was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casts out demons by the prince of the demons. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. You may be seated. Today's scripture passage terminates with a very powerful exhortation by Christ to all His followers. And it remains one of my favorite verses in all of scripture. It was the text that God used to call me into preaching ministry many years ago. And it is also the text that God used very recently to convict me and affirm my next vocational step. The command to pray earnestly for laborers happens to end the ninth chapter of Matthew's Gospel, and it remains in full force today. In fact, it is as needed today as it was needed 2,000 years ago, because there are still so many out there who are willing to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. The end is drawing nigh, and God's kingdom still needs further expansion. Our work is nowhere near completion, and it is not for a lack of fruit. Remember, Jesus told us the harvest is plentiful, which means that fruit abounds. What it's really about is getting more laborers into what Jesus promises to be a field full of harvest. Now next week, when we begin our study of the 10th chapter of Matthew, we will see just how important this exhortation by Christ really was. 
we will see Jesus himself sending out his 12 disciples immediately into the Jewish harvest field. And so the main theological principle today ought to be the main theological principle for our lives. The harvest is plenty, so be a laborer and pray for laborers. The harvest is plenty, so be a laborer and pray for laborers. Before we unpack the last section of today's section of Scripture, I want to take a moment to touch on the verses prior to the end. These last two miracles prior to the end of chapter 9 will be pivotal in leading up to the command for us to pray for laborers. In the first miracle, notice that two blind men are healed of their blindness. In the second miracle, a mute man has a demon cast out by Christ and upon casting the demon out, the man is now able to speak. Everywhere he looked, Jesus saw diseased people and individuals harassed by the devil. The world around Jesus was very broken. And it still remains the same way. As I said earlier, this is important to note because verse 36 states that when Jesus saw the crowds, He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. Unless we take note of this, we will not understand the Savior's heart for lost people. And we thus will never pray earnestly for laborers. Furthermore, we will not aim to be a laborer ourselves. Unless we understand that the devil is seriously out to kill, steal, and destroy, and unless we have a heart for compassion for those suffering, that the Son of God has come to give us life and it more abundantly, then we will not go out into a hurting world with the cure that is Jesus Christ. I, I urge you today to ask God to give you the same sort of heart that He had when He looked out at the crowd at the end of this ninth chapter of Matthew. For unless we have Jesus' mind for the broken, then we will never go out to heal the broken. One of the earliest Bible verses I ever memorized was John 3.16. You all know it well, as uh, I'm sure. Uh, it is famous because it shows the heart behind the man on the mission. It shows the heart behind Jesus. In fact, Jesus came into the world, we could say it this way, Jesus came on a mission because God so loved the world. That's what John 3.16 teaches us. Isn't that right? The famous 16th verse of the third chapter of John starts with a purpose clause. For. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Complexities of theology aside, every now and then I find myself still running back to this very simple verse and I receive tremendous comfort and assurance. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. God desires 
meant to believe and be saved. It's really that simple. He loves us and has compassion on us. The Bible says that is why He gave us Jesus. And like His heavenly Father, Jesus has compassion on us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were God's enemies, Jesus reconciled us to God. And while we were sick in our filthy sin, Jesus bound us, healed us, forgave us, and said to us, From now on, do better, my child. His love and forgiveness is what allows us to rise and pursue holiness after we repent from sin each day. And His love and forgiveness is what also drives us powerfully into a mission field as heralders of the only message that saves. Have you experienced the love of Christ for yourself? Then I urge you to also go into the harvest. The same Jesus who loved you and saved you also loves this dying world and desires to save them as well. Go! It is a fruitful harvest. Verses 27 to 31 entails the encounter by Jesus with two blind men. This encounter, first of all, must not be confused with the narrative of blind Bartimaeus. There are significant differences between these two accounts, and we must not believe that the Gospel writer Matthew was writing a butchered account of the story of blind Bartimaeus. Instead, the story of the two blind men is one account. And the story of blind Bartimaeus is a completely different and separate account. Without question, Jesus healed many blind men during the days of His ministry. Later, in chapter 11, we shall see the disciples of John coming to Jesus, asking whether or not He really was the Messiah. And Jesus interestingly responds by saying, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Hence, we can safely conclude that such encounters with the blind occurred multiple times during Jesus' earthly ministry and that verses 27 to 31 are a detailing of just another one of such encounters. The healing of the blind, by the way, was also a powerful sign for the world that Jesus was the true Messiah. The blind men essentially called Jesus the Messiah in verse 27 by calling Him the Son of David. But Jesus had come not merely to heal the physically impaired, but to ultimately heal spiritual blindness. Faith is the, eyes that in our, faith is the eye that enables the soul to see. By faith we spiritually see. Without faith we are blind. This is why in verse 28, prior to healing the two, blind, the two men, Jesus first asks them an important question. He asks, do you believe that I am able to do this? Only when they have faith does Jesus heal them. And when He heals them, Jesus says, according to your faith, be it done to you. These men were not only healed of physical blindness, but more importantly, they were healed of spiritual blindness. There is an immediate application for us here. 
Faith is essential because not only will it determine our eternal destinies, but it will also determine the sort of lives that we will live on earth. As Jesus said, according to our faith, it will be done to us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the life that you're living right now is a result of your faith or lack thereof? Are you not happy with the type of life you're living? Then have more faith. Jesus said it. According to your faith, it will be done to you. Hence, the lesson is quite simple and straightforward for us. The blessed life is the direct result of a faithful life. Let me say that one more time. The blessed life is the result, the direct result. I'm speaking of causation here, not merely correlation. The blessed life is the direct result of a faithful life. Faith in what or in whom? Faith in the gospel and in Jesus Christ. What is the gospel? That there is a holy and righteous God who loves you, but must send all sinners to hell. That we are all sinners who deserve eternal punishment in hell from God. That Jesus Christ, who was fully God and fully man, came to earth living a sinless life, and then He died on the cross in place of you and me. He died on the cross for your sins. And after dying on the cross for our sins, three days later, Jesus historically resurrected from the grave so that if you will repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord God and Savior, you will have eternal life. It is upon belief in that gospel that your life will begin a journey of joy and peace. Make no mistake about that. You are looking for joy and peace. Every job that you take, every person that you seek to date, every, every decision, even down to the very food that you choose to eat, is driven by your desire, your search for joy and peace. Is that not the reason why you go to eat where you do? You seek those meals that will make you happy. McDonald's calls it a happy meal for a reason. You are seeking for joy and peace. And I am here to tell you that the ultimate, the ultimate, the fullness of joy is God. In His presence is the fullness of joy. Look no further than Jesus. You could, you could decide, well, I'm not going to believe you, preacher, and go down a different road. But I will tell you, you will not find the joy and happiness that you crave. He will also, God will also, listen to me, God will also provide for you financially. A lot of preachers these days in Reformed circles are afraid to preach this because of the damage done by the prosperity gospel. But there is no need to throw out the baby with the bathwater. God promises us in the Bible that if you believe in the gospel, He will take care of you financially. He promises. In fact, the Apostle Paul says, he says, he says that God will enrich you in every way, including, in fact, specifically in that context, financially, so that you can abound in works of generosity. In all ways, the man who 
firmly believes in the gospel, the man of faith will be secure as the Lord leads him constantly by still waters and green pastures. It does not mean that he will be rich or be on the cover of Forbes magazine. It does not mean that his life will be without his share of afflictions. But what it does mean is that overall, he will have a blessed life. Overall. Surely you will see God's goodness and mercy follow that man all the days of his life. And such a one will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You won't see backsliding and apostasy or aberrant doctrine. Such a person will follow the Lord. It's, if, if, if you look at Psalm 23, verse 6, the, the, there's a promise there. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I asked my children one night after family worship, what's the, what's the best part of that verse? And the best part of that verse is not that the goodness and the mercy will be there for you. The best part of that verse is that you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Mercy is good and goodness and good is good. And some would say that even be- because of mercy, therefore you get to dwell. But having said that, as good as goodness is, th- there is no goodness greater than being able to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God, give me affliction, give me hardship, but promise me that I get to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's all I want. And give, give that same promise fulfillment for my children. That I and my house, as for me and my house, we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. My, what a promise that is. Furthermore, you will see His descendants for generation after generation are blessed. Why? Because God takes care of His own and because God is the source of all true blessing. Conversely, the man who hates God, the man who does not believe in God, is cursed by God for generation after generation. Some take this lightly, but it's true. Go into any neighborhood that is wracked with poverty, and you will see that poverty is systemic and cyclical because at its root, it is spiritual in nature. I believe that with all my heart. Poverty is merely a symptom of unbelief in the gospel. I'm going to say that one more time. Poverty is merely a symptom of unbelief in the gospel. And God says... I will not have mercy on your children because they are children of whoredom. Those are the words of God. To the third and fourth generation, God says, I will visit the iniquity of the fathers upon those who hate me. But it can stop with you. The curse can stop with you. You and your descendants can be blessed. Why? Because you believe in the gospel, and as a result of your faith, so it shall be done unto you. God takes care of His own, and because God is the source of all true blessing, you will be blessed. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be blessed, you and your house. That's another way of saying that. You ever heard of that famous verse in Acts 16? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. I could just take out that word, blessed, and uh, saved and put, replace it with blessed and it, it still works. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be blessed and your house. Amen?
If you don't believe me, then read and believe the scripture instead. The Bible tells us that as Christians, we have the very powerful blessing of Genesis 12, the blessing of Abraham upon our lives. That old children's song is true. Father Abraham had many sons. I am one of them and so are you. So let's, what is it? Jump and be happy? God blesses us because we are now the descendants of Abraham. What a theologically profound truth that is. I want you to listen to Galatians 3.14 and 29. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And if you are Christ, then listen to me here. If you are Christ, this is awesome. Then you are Abraham's offspring Heirs according to promise. My, what a promise that is. What was the blessing of Abraham? Anybody know? What was the blessing of Abraham? Let's look at Genesis 12, verses 2 to 3. Here it is. Here's the blessing of Abraham. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Do you walk around with that kind? I don't want to call it swag, but do you walk around with that kind of affirmation and belief that this is, this is talking about you? That's what Galatians says. What did Jacob, Judah, and Joseph all inherit because they were descendants of Abraham? What did Esau forfeit through his scorning of his birthright? The answer to both questions is the blessing of Abraham. By believing in the gospel, you will literally be blessed in this life and in the one to come. Furthermore, everywhere you go, you will be a blessing to all who kindly receive you. Your peace will come upon every house that receives you hospitably. And as you go forth into this world as a laborer of the gospel, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Hallelujah. Paul's point in Galatians and Matthew's point in this chapter are both one and the same. According to your faith or lack thereof, be it done to you both in this lifetime and the one to come. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. They'll come against you. God tells Jeremiah, they will fight against you, but they will not prevail. I will make you an iron pillar. Faith in Christ, therefore, is the starting point for a great life. I would, t- I would teach this to every young person who's lo- trying to figure out how to map out a good, prosperous life. The se- the, here, here's, the, here's the solution. Here's the key to a great life. Faith in Christ. You ought to fight every day and check to see if you believe because that is the key to a successful life. If we read both these stories in Matthew 9, and we simply take away the physical miracles of Christ, then we are severely missing the point. Both accounts are here to demonstrate to us that the physical maladies are simply superficial compared to the deeper spiritual maladies. 
The second account of the mute man makes this point abundantly clear. You see, in the second account, a demon-oppressed man was brought to Jesus. And this particular man was also mute. But verse 33 informs us that when Jesus cast the devil out of that man, the mute man spoke. Now I want to make something clear. Not all illnesses are the result of demonic oppression, but Matthew's point is clear. This particular impairment was the direct result of demonic oppression. When the demon was cast out, when the root of the problem was taken care of, then the symptom, the muteness, was also resolved. Again, the point of both narratives here are quite straightforward. I often look at people with family problems or financial problems or all sorts of mental issues, and those are just symptoms. I try to bring them back to Christ. And that's where the real root lies. Cast that out, and the symptoms will also be resolved. Problems in the physical, visible realm are often secondary problems when compared to spiritual problems. Although the blind man came to Christ for physical healing, Jesus instead goes straight to their faith. The mute man is able to speak when the demon is cast out. Now in a sense, all infirmities are a result of the sin of man. The bigger problem for all of us is always the spiritual one, not the physical one. The same is true for poverty on the societal level. True healing and true blessing always begins at the spiritual level. Even the Pharisees understood this, which is why they wrongly say in verse 34, He, Jesus, casts out demons by the prince of demons. This is why Jesus also says in Matthew 13, 15, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart is grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Healing begins with the understanding of and belief in the Bible. Faith in the true gospel combined with continued understanding of solid doctrine leads to a spiritual spiritually uplifting and healthy life a healthy spiritual life is generally the source of a healthy all around life I remember one uh, ER trauma nurse saying that most I think she said it's just off the top of my head. Something like over 90% of what she sees coming into the emergency room are at its root spiritual problems. Alright? You, would, you wouldn't be in those conditions that you're coming in to the emergency room with if, you, if your spiritual life was right. A healthy spiritual life is generally the source of a healthy all-around life. The other day I was at a, I was at a bagel shop um, different one. <laughs> Sorry, Jake. The other day I was at a, a bagel shop uh, and I saw a clip of the Dr. Phil show. And uh, on the show, a, a woman's problems were all listed on, on the TV screen 
for the world to see. And I was reading that list uh, included massive life issues, multiple abortions, depression, and list went on and on. And as the camera zoomed in to her weary, wrinkled face, I thought one thing: Wow, she needs Jesus. Because if if she was following Jesus, I guarantee I was reading that list, all of those things would just be erased. All those things. What Dr. Phil doesn't realize is, is that all those problems on that screen that that woman went through was a result of her not knowing her Savior. But at the same time, the, the, the same is true for all of us. We all try to put our best face forward when we're outside, but due to sin, many of our private lives are a mess. As sheep without a shepherd... We are wandering around, helpless, sick, and harassed. And what Jesus did was that He looked into such a world, and He did not condemn them. Instead, verse 36 states that He had compassion on them. Then He sent out laborers, and today He does the same. Today, Jesus sends all of us out. What are we to do? Will we go? Well, We ought to imitate Jesus. What did Jesus do? Here's what it says in verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues. That's the first thing He did. And proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Second thing He did. And now listen to this. And healing every disease and every affliction. Go out and stick to those three things. You can't go wrong with your life. Go out and preach the gospel. Then teach the right doctrines as you make disciples. And when you have opportunity, heal and care for the sick, the mentally afflicted, and wounded. Teaching, proclaiming, and healing. That's what Jesus went around doing. Be a laborer in the harvest, not merely a spectator. And as you labor, do not merely pray. It's one thing. God, I pray for laborers in the harvest. Don't just do that. But what Jesus says in verse 38, He says, pray earnestly to God for more laborers. Have you done that recently? For He alone is the Lord of both the harvest and the laborers of the harvest. Pray earnestly for more of both because only God can provide both. May God use us to evangelize and to heal. This work means much to our compassionate Lord. In fact, we could say this is the very reason why He came. Hence, I sincerely hope that we will all be faithful laborers who are working when our Master returns to meet us. May He find all of us working instead of slacking. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you.